Well, I know. I, I I don't know who should say it. You you go. No, you no. You no. do it. No, I would. I, I want. I this I insist. time. This time, I think it really should be you. I always say it. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Are you serious? Sure. Guys, gals, episode seventy. This is unbelievable. Seventy. Seventy. Can you believe that? Yeah, some people don't even live to be 70 years old. Some people don't even listen to our podcast that's episodes. That's very true. That's weird. It's <laughs> so weird. Why wouldn't you? I know. You're ridiculous if you don't. For those of you who do and Thank have. Thank you. Yes. Episode 70 of You'll Die Trying. I am Jonathan Carroll. I am Nathan Morris. You are you, and we are grateful. Are we not? Thanks for listening. I'm grateful. Gosh, 70. Let's do this thing that we do. So it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. In the neighbor- oh, sorry. I beat you to it. Damn. You're not even wearing your cardigan. I know. I have cardigans, though. Oh, absolutely. I love cardigans. Mm-hmm. I have American one. Apparel cardigans are legit. I have a Ralph Lauren one that's navy blue, and it has a big puffy collar and beautiful wood buttons, and everyone always says I look like a therapist when I wear it. And you love it. Well, I mean, you it's, are a it's part of it. Yeah, it's part of the shtick. You look like a man. What's your favorite Disney movie? Oh, I don't know because last time I said something about a Disney movie, it was so wrong. What what movie was it? Oh yeah, what? Uh, Pocahontas. We were hanging out the other night, and I was singing the Hey Nani Nani Hey Nani Nani. <laughs> I was actually quizzing you because you have four girls, and they probably had watched those yeah. movies. Yeah, I think they had, but I did not know that reference, and I felt underprepared. Well, Hey Nani Nani Hey Nani. That's the only part of the song I know. Well, I like. Uh, these kind of live action remakes of the Disney movies. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to be shameless in my admission of that. Uh, my favorite to date is Beauty and the Beast, although The Lion King is coming out soon. I know, I can't wait. Aladdin, I don't know. Will Smith, though. Yeah. I mean, he looks, you know, Will Smith just started a YouTube channel and within like hours, he went up to like 5 million of subscribers. Did. Of course he did. Uh, so I think it was, who was it? Oh, it was Peter McKinnon. Peter McKinnon, a YouTube influencer, just won, I think, like developing YouTuber of the year award. Wow. And uh, he talked about Will Smith and how he just started a channel and he shot past him in like two hours. That's crazy. Because Peter McKinnon has you know millions of subscribers. Yeah, But anyway, I wanted to have a quick conversation about Beauty and the Beast, hostages, and marriage. Okay. Sound fun? It sounds kind of nerve-wracking. Before we get into it, uh, I think that we should have a special word of thanks to our sponsor. I think so, too. Robert Edge with Kentucky Farm Bureau. He's an agent. He is big on commitment. Think about the things in your life that you want to take care of and protect. You know, your home, your auto. What better thing, actually, people than your family with life insurance? When you think of life insurance, think of no other or no further than Robert Edge with Kentucky Farm Bureau Insurance. He is an agent. He is big on commitment, and he is absolutely protecting myself and my family and my things. You can call Robert at 270-926-9600. That's Kentucky Farm Bureau. Robert Edge, thank you for sponsoring our episode. So I wanted to 
have this very uh, interesting conversation. Let's do it. Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Beauty. I, I know. Be- <laughs> Sorry. I, I think it's a. I think it's everyone's favorite Disney movie about Stockholm syndrome. That's what it is. Stockholm syndrome, as you uh, may know, is a condition <laughs> where uh, hostages develop a psychological alliance with their hostage taker as a way of kind of coping with the traumatic and tragic circumstances of their situation. Um, so you'll you know, find that someone has been in someone's uh, hostage taking for two years and they don't almost, they don't want to escape because they don't want to hurt the feelings. I mean, this is, it's a, it's a really tragic and sad thing, but sometimes it can be used to forge an alliance that you're doing on purpose so that you can gain trust and then escape. But in any event, Beauty and the Beast is uh, a story about where the beast tells Belle that she can explore everywhere in the castle except one place. And uh, it's called, interestingly, The West Wing. Now, this is not Aaron Sorkin's incredible um, docudrama about the White House, you know, featuring President Jed Bartlett. That's that's a different West Wing. But the West Wing of this castle is uh, off limits to Belle, who is, as you know, the Beast's hostage. You know, these are things that we really don't think about. These Disney writers, man, they're really kind of messed up sometimes. But in any event, she really is a hostage. <laughs> you don't think about it because she's so beautiful and, and sweet. And it and... seems so like willing and stuff, but she's she's a hostage. Yeah. And uh, she's told not to go to the West Wing. So where does she go five minutes in? The West Wing. And what does she discover there? She discovers the rose. The secrets. Yes. The, the, uh, the realities of the beast's past. The mm-hmm. enchanted rose and a sullen beast stomping around in all of his feels, right? So she's curious. She's led straight into the place where she's not supposed to be, which is the beast's emotional core. This is his own personal uh, trigger, the West Wing. So uh, the beast is the beast in part because he was scared to face his enduring vulnerabilities. And we've talked a lot about vulnerability in our podcast. And I think the beast... Uh, looks the way he does and acts the way he does because he refuses to show himself to another person. So he's a, he's really his own prisoner. He is a, is scared to share his feelings and as a result to be known, which of course is not unlike a lot of us. So here's what I propose. If Bell had never gone into the West Wing, obviously the plot would never have advanced, right? Mm-hmm. The movie would be summarized as a self-centered beast keeps this bookish girl in his castle and remains a self-centered beast. That's how the story would have gone. But the beast ultimately shared and addressed his vulnerabilities and his wounds and his past and his sensitivities, and they grew closer. And spoiler alert, the beast and the beauty fall in love. So here's the question. What would happen if you shared something from your West Wing with your partner, your spouse, that you haven't shared before? How would it advance the plot? Well, I recently did. Yeah. Let's hear about it. Well, I mean, it was, it's kind of like when you're a kid, 
you know, you think you're so sly and smart and you can pull one over on your parents who in fact were kids once too. Yeah. So you're not getting away with anything. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that way within a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, you may not have to acknowledge it and you, you meaning the person that's quote unquote keeping the secret, the secret already is out there. <laughs> so it's one of those things when you acknowledge it, yeah, allowing someone in to the West Wing, it actually, it helps 100%. Mm-hmm. It changes everything. Yeah. It literally changes everything. Would you say that you are accomplished at going home and sitting down or walking alongside or wherever you might find yourself in your home with your wife? Are you accomplished at letting her in to the things that you struggle with, the insecurities, the fears, the, the sadnesses, the anxieties? Do you, are you an open book completely in an unadulterated way? No. Do you wish you were? I need to say yes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm better at, at it. You said accomplished. I'm not an accomplished. Like I think I've an accomplished pianist who can play these beautiful pieces. I'm not yeah. that way. I do, I do a better job than I used to. That is for sure. Because mm-hmm. I make an effort. Yeah. And that's, I think, important. So I should want to say yes. Like you want to want to say yes? I want to want. Yes. But... So far, not yet. Not yet. Well, that's a, there's that's nothing, a hopeful posture. Well, there, yeah, there's nothing wrong. I don't know. I'm speaking personally. I don't feel there's anything wrong, but maybe there is. But, uh, there is. There is. Just let me know if that's you need on, me. In that's this on me. Convo. Sorry, I'm just over here talking <laughs> to my friend. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I don't think that it's about something wrong, as you know. There's right, no right or right. Goods, yeah. bads, right. But, but I think that might that could be an area of growth. And I'm not saying that you have to you know, unzip the bag that holds your deepest, darkest secrets and, you know, walk around pouring them on everyone. But I do think that the emotional intimacy we share with those who are closest to us grows, develops, matures, and deepens as we are more disclosive of those things about ourselves that we tend to keep to ourselves. Uh, Again, I don't think that it needs to be telling every aspect of your of your life. I think there are things that people inevitably keep to themselves, whether they know that they are or not. But one of the attributes that's important in my relationship with Joy is that we we do talk about those things. And I have to say, she's a hell of a lot better at it than I am. And it's weird, right? Because you'd think, well, I would think that I would be better at that mm-hmm. because of what I do and my personality. But I have been very... Um, protective and almost closed off, certainly defensive about certain aspects of my person that I didn't want necessarily anyone to see for fear that if they did, they would run far, far away. You're a real human. And we struggle, we have struggled with that. I have struggled with that. And then Joy continues to demonstrate her openness and her receptivity. And I continue to not, it seems like not trust that. That's what it comes down to not trusting that she is going to be there to hold that and hold me in that space and be okay with it. And then, you know, I've learned to to uh, to get better at it. And she's, of course, demonstrated impeccable um, 
receptivity and openness to that. But I, I do think that we all of us walk around with our uh, uh, haunting and steaming uh, feelings that we kind of stomp around in like we are the beast in our own West Wing. And I think we'd do well to let people, someone, see inside, take a look around, and uh, give us some help. Dang. Dr. Carroll, so you there's, that, there's you your say, marriage moment. Did you say that there, we're going to talk about the beast and then marriage? Did you say something about baseball too? Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't uh, okay. recall. You probably didn't. I just had a stroke, a mild stroke. I need to. <laughs> I just think that we in our podcast, we need to every now and then have a marriage moment. And there's your moment for your marriage or other relationships. Yeah. I was te- I was just taking my pulse to make sure I'm still alive. <laughs> my heart's been palpitating recently. Too much coffee? No, I don't drink very much coffee. Except when you're here. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not drinking sodas and you know, on a regular. So yeah, I don't know. You are dying. Yeah, we all are. Yes, we are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I killed this fly over here in the corner. That was buzzing around my head all morning long. It's literally probably four inches long. <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> so gross. It's on the floor here, guys. I don't want to see it. It's fine. It's just going to get vacuumed up here in a short, short bit. So uh, would you be willing to uh, let y- uh, me and the community into your West Wing? Are you getting ready to West Wing me? <laughs> that's, let's create that verb. Yeah, that's fine. I'm going to West Wing you. That's I West fine. Wing you. I'll plead, I'll plead the fifth if I need to, but I'll, we can go there. Are you going to really start like dissecting my West Wing? No. Good. No. Thank good. Well, one of the things uh, in the West Wing for the Beast was the rose. We think that our past and trauma and bad feelings are ugly, even though there was a little bit of a spell involved in the rose. It's still a beautiful thing. I think that our lives are full of beautiful and tragic things. It's all about how you look at it. My past... It would be a llama. <laughs> Have we talked about um, how you can hope in the past? <laughs> no, but this is that's intriguing to me. Did my llama comment not intrigue you enough? Just went right by it. Yeah, I mean, they're funny, cute animals. <laughs> you ever seen the llama race? Anyway, go on. The one that they do for the derby? Yes. Yeah. It's cute. It's really funny. <laughs> okay, go on. No, you Hope go. in the past. You no, I don't know what that means, and I want to. Oh, 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 okay. Hope in the past. Yeah, so traditionally, and I don't know if we've talked about this. No. Okay. Traditionally, uh, we we tend to hope for the future. We hope for things to come. I mean, there are even people who are in kind of Christian circles would, would be able to quote Hebrews chapter 11, where we learn that hope is the, uh, that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So hope is has this kind of future orientation this kind of forward trajectory. In a therapeutic world, it's important that people know they they can still hope in their past, not in the sense that they can change their past, but in that they can change how they think about their past. They can change what meaning they assign to the things that have happened to them. And that's how you can hope. I can hope that what happened, I can reframe how I think about it and assign a new meaning to it and allow it to strengthen me rather than tear me down and use it to move forward and upward rather than to pull me back and down. 
So I would like to invite people who are needing to think about their West Wing to ask, is it necessary that we have this room of remembrance of all the trauma, traumatic and tragic things that have happened to us? Why not rethink and reframe how we think about what has happened to us? It doesn't necessarily have to always be tragic. There are things that have happened to us that are tragic. There are people to whom terrible, unspeakable things have happened. Healing is probably not going to ever fully happen. There are always gaping wounds. Wow. But how we think about what happened and what meaning we assign to it matters. Think about the people who have been abused, tortured, um, uh, who have been, what's the word? There's, there have been, um, oh, it starts with an M, who have been wounded physically and otherwise and who have risen up out of that experience in order to start nonprofit organizations for the sake of saving children from the sex slave uh, and trafficking um, industry, people who have risen up from deep abject poverty to create schools for children who before weren't allowed to go, to empower women who might live in cultures where women are dehumanized, like people who have experienced deep, painful trauma have been able to reassign meaning to what happened and use that as fuel to burn uh, a new kind of fire to start life and give things that are beautiful to people. I think that's I think that's possible for all of us. Wow. My guess is that you and people listening have experienced sad things and we've been able to turn those experiences into good. I think that's the goal. That's the hope. That's the hope of the human existence. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. We'll be right back. You're looking at me. No, you're looking at me. I know. We're looking at one another. That's sweet. Yep. Still looking. Mm Mm-hmm. You want to paper, rock, scissors to see who starts? Okay. One time, one time only. Yeah. Three and then hit. Paper. Rock to my scissors. It's me. So, Nathan. So, Jay. Is there an experience that you've had that you can look back on and say, I have transformed what that could have been and used it for good? 100%. Oh, good. Anything you can share? I'm not going to. Okay. Not right now. Uh, I think it's one of those things. It's actually a very, it was a very deep wound Mm. for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened in my childhood. Uh, and it's something that I carried with me up until my young adult yeah. hood, which of course I had since, I don't want to say dealt with, that's just ugly, dealt with. I Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm with you. I don't like that verb. I dealt with it. I, like, I hate it when people say I have to, I have to deal with it. I have to deal person. with this. No, yeah. it's not, that's not what you do. Well, uh, I tackled it. You I've addressed of- it. I've... Come to terms. Come to terms. And anyway, maybe one day. Yeah. You know, I've, I talk about it more openly in like smaller circles. Sure. Because I think it's a great conversation to have because it's amazing how many people have similar stories. Yeah. And are able to relate and realize that we're all just humans. And I just did it. 
I did it from the last com. I did it from the last podcast. I'm stopping myself. It's good to have conversation with people in in small circles who have gone through it together and realize that we are humans, Mm. and we are humans who are constantly evolving. Mm. And these smaller circles that I was referring to before, I said just because it's not just, are very strong people. Mm. Anywho, yes. So. To answer that question in a very vague manner, the answer is yes. It's probably yes for every almost human. every person. Yeah, exactly. I don't know of any person in this world, and I would love to meet them. I would love to meet someone who has had this impeccably picturesque, perfect life. Well, can I ask you a theological question? Sure. How do you personally reconcile the notion that there is an all-loving, all-good, and all-powerful God who coexists in a world where there is evil and suffering. Like, how do you personally address the question of evil? In theology, this is called theodicy. It's the greatest unanswered question to date for Christianity. How can we live with the discrepancy of an all-powerful, all-loving, and all-good God who lives alongside a world that is seemingly broken and in suffering. How do you personally reconcile your faith to that question? My knowledge in faith tells me that free will, Mm -hmm. you know, choosing a red pill, blue pill, if you want to get Matrix on it or whatever, that is ingrained in human beings. And we, as humans... We kind of direct our own movie, mm-hmm. uh, and an all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God, yes, can and probably oftentimes does interject in ways in which we maybe are aware or not aware, mm-hmm. yet uh, allows for things to to happen that mm-hmm. aren't good. So I believe in uh, free will. I mean, it's 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 real. I mean, if you say if you put up a two shirts right now and you say, hey man, which one do you like more? Which one do you want to wear right now? I'll be like, I want to wear that one. Maybe the other one if I wore it could have had a different outcome. Everybody made fun of me and called me some really terrible name. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, I like your answer. There, in other words, we are free agents and our suffering, if I'm hearing you right, is the product of our misallocation of our freedom. I would think so. I mean, you get in a vehicle intoxicated as all get out. Yeah. You kill yourself or someone else. That's a that's cause and effect kind cause of cause and effect kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Could God, the creator of us, interject? Yes. Is it powerful enough? Yes. I, I So God doesn't as a result of God's desire to preserve our freedom? Is that kind of uh, what, you're, what you're thinking? That, now, now you're getting to something that's probably far more of an intellectual conversation that I'm, I'm going to say I'm not smart enough to carry out. Oh, totally not true. Well, you know, I, I do. That a lot of people would say that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and you hear that. You hear that a lot. Like you know, pray for this person that they will survive their diagnosis, and and people do, and they do. Right. And then there are people who have that same kind of prayer circle. And they pray, and that person doesn't survive. And there are stories of the people that do survive talking of actually feeling the outpouring of prayer 
and actually just just explaining and expressing what that felt like. And yeah. it's just And then there are the people who don't. Yeah. And that's those are the people I tend to see. You know, I mm-hmm. see I spend most of my time with the people who did all the right things. Yep. And still the story ended with sadness and and, and suffering. And their questions are what's the point? Right? Yep. What what's the point of faithing in a God who seems to be indifferent, who knows my name and then walks away? Which is a powerful and very lonely place to stand, you know? So this is why it's such a difficult question for Christianity. In his book, Creation and the Persistence of Evil, a Jewish scholar named John Levinson writes that God in entering human history chose to, in a sense, check his power, God's power at the door. Because to enter into a relationship with human beings with that kind of power, it would not be a free relationship. It would be compulsion. It would be resignation. I have to love and serve you because you have more power than I do. You know what I mean? It's not free. It's, I'm, I feel compelled because you're bigger than me. But if God checks God's power at the door and then comes in full and free love, that's a free relationship. As a result, then God is not, God chooses by setting that aside to not have the power to alter the course of history. That's very complicated, right? Because then it's like, well, so are you saying God's powerless? Well, if God decides to set that aside, then God makes God's self powerless because of love. And that's a pretty incredible, really gorgeous story, but it makes us all vulnerable. Wow. So there's another book called Narratives of the, the, the Abused God, you know, because God sets God's power aside. And so all of that is to say, does God have the power to change it? And if God does, why does it happen for some and why doesn't it happen for others? And that's, that's, the, that's another question of the Odyssey. Then you have people who, who, who recognize that while God doesn't alter the ways that, that cells mutate, which causes cancer, or that God doesn't alter the flow of blood with cholesterol and plaque and arteries, which cause heart disease, that, but, but that God chooses to be with us, that maybe that's enough, that God is with us in our suffering. Not that God causes it, not that God allows it, not that God changes it, but that God sits and walks with us in it. And that's really the best that the Christian faith, I think, has to offer because we can't say that God is capricious, saving some and damning others. I think we have to say that God is not willing that any should die, which is biblical, but that all of us will. And God is alongside us in our suffering. And God knows suffering because God, God's self has suffered in the story of Jesus, of course. All those things that you just said are good, are good enough for me. Yeah. You know? I want them to be. I struggle with it sometimes still. Well, I just, I think it's it's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. And it's not me being an ignorant person and saying I don't want to continue to seek that mm-hmm. and seek more, seek more answers uh, for my eyes to be opened even wider. I just, I like that. I like the Jewish, please say his name again. Levinson, John Levinson. I loved that. Mm-hmm. That was really beautiful. Imagine that you, <clears throat> you know, you have the power to change everything, but doing so would 
mean people aren't free to be in relationship with you on their own terms. And so you take that bag and you put it at the door and you walk in vulnerable like everyone else. I mean, that's what I think we mean when we say that God becomes human, which is how the Christian narrative has Jesus entering the story as God's kind of enfleshed person. There's debate about that, whatever, but I think the predominant Christian narrative is that Jesus is the is 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 the enfleshed God who comes to earth and 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 does so with power, but also with restraint. And it's it's complicated for people who suffer because they want healing too. There are all there are stories in the Bible of people coming to Jesus and some of them get healed and some of them don't because Jesus has to steal away and go to the mountain or go to the sea and reconnect with his father. And there are some people left wanting more. And uh, that's hard. That's hard. But I think that's how life works. I don't think that it's, I think it's as, this is the best of all possible worlds. And we still have to deal with suffering. You see it every day. I see it every day. A lot of people don't see it every day, especially if you turn off the TV and you don't accept the newspaper. You don't go online. Yep. You don't have to see it every day, but there's suffering everywhere at all times. And I imagine that God's heart is the first of all hearts to break every time there's suffering. That to me is enough. We just know we're not alone. And you ladies and gentlemen are not. Every week, Dr. Carol and myself, hope to be a part of your life in some way, form or fashion. And we hope that what we say encourages, inspires, opens your eyes and minds a little bit on the 70th episode. 70. Wow. I am so grateful for each and every single one of you. Please visit youldietrying.com. Please go to facebook.com forward slash youldietrying. Give us a five-star review on your listening devices. Send us an email. Send us a voice message using Anchor Voice. And email us, podcast at gmail.com. I'm Jonathan Carroll. I'm Nathan Morris. You are not alone. None of us is. Rethink what has happened to you. Assign new meaning to it and use it as fuel to become the person you've always longed to be. We'll all do it together. <laughs>